Well, again, good morning, Grumlaw Church. We are so glad that all of you decided to join us again for another edition here of Church Online. Uh, we know that, honestly, you all could be doing a lot of different things on this, this summer day, uh, a summer that, mind you, is quickly coming to a close. And for whatever reason, you chose to be here with us, and we certainly do not take that for granted. Uh, if today is your first time joining us, or, or perhaps you've been on a bit of a summer hiatus, uh, we're actually continuing today in a series titled Campfire Stories. In fact, we're actually heading today into part three of this series. And so if you missed either one of the first two weeks, I would really, really encourage you to head over to grumlot.com slash messages. You can either listen or even watch the messages there, or as always, you can find us under Grumlot Church, wherever it is that you happen to grab your podcasts. And I, I think that you really ought to catch yourself up, not because I'm like this just incredible communicator that you have to listen to, uh, but because in this series, uh, we're actually taking a look at some of the stories that came from the very lips of Jesus himself, as in God in a bod Jesus. J Jesus was actually an incredible storyteller. And, and even more than that, he was so strategic with the stories that he would tell. We would traditionally refer to these stories that Jesus would tell as, as parables. As we've been discussing in this series, a parable is a simple, made-up story told to make a clear, honest point. And you actually read that right. Jesus would literally make these stories up. They were completely fabricated. But, but the point that he would be making was very real. And it would typically expose a truth that was really, really hard for the audience to accept. Not only thousands of years ago when he was originally roaming the earth, but just as true today. He, he was so strategic with this. As every single one of us know, how information is dispersed is every bit as important as the information itself. Uh, let, let me give you a practical example of this. Uh, for my entire life, uh, even as a young child, and this actually isn't unique to me, this is for all of us, we have all seen advertising I informing anyone watching, don't drink and drive, right? We've all seen those ads, don't drink and drive. And as a little kid, I got to tell you, this was a little bit confusing because uh, whenever I was in the car with my father, he constantly drank and drove. He would drink Pepsi and drive. He would drink water and drive. He would drink Diet Mountain Dew and drive. In fact, even to present day, if you get in the vehicle with my father, it's really, really rare that he's not drinking something and driving. Now, as I got a little bit older, I put it together. They were specifically talking about alcohol. Uh, and for the record, my dad actually doesn't drink. He, he has never drank and, and drove, at least drank alcohol and drove. As I entered into high school and, and I learned about, and also I, I witnessed firsthand at parties, uh, the effects that alcohol can have on human behavior, it, it made a whole lot more sense why this was kind of this never-ending PSA to not drink and drive. But, but I can't even say that early on in high school, it was really still at that point that important. But, but then I remember very specifically an assembly, a, a presentation later on in high school. And, and I remember hearing firsthand accounts from people who, who had lost loved ones because somebody got drunk and then jumped behind the wheel of a car. I, I saw the raw emotion, the, the tears in their eyes as they discussed the loss of a daughter, a spouse, a, a life senselessly cut short because somebody made that decision to drink and drive. And, and even in a high school with, with all guys, that there was hardly a dry eye in that gym that day. So it was the same information, don't drink and drive, but how, how it was communicated was so much different. And as a result, it had a significantly different impact. And, and this is exactly what Jesus was up to when he told these parables, when he told these stories. I mean, could, could Jesus have simply just kind of information dumped all over the audience? 
I mean, absolutely. I mean, after all, it's, it's Jesus. He is all wise. He is all knowing. But, but he was smart enough to know that if he went about it that way, the information would not stick. It, it would not be memorable. It, it, it'd be in one ear and, and out the other. And, and so instead, Jesus chose to tell these stories to get to people to think about these subjects, about these topics in a new way, to, to see them in, a, in an all-new light. He, he would use these stories to break down walls and expose truth that people were previously blind to. And, and so today, we're going to be taking a look at a story traditionally referred to as the story of the scattered seed. I know, again, not a very interesting title. The gospel writers could have certainly benefited from a creative team uh, to make these stories seem more appealing. But, but this too, like last week, we took a look at the story of the new cloth. Uh, it's actually recorded for us in multiple gospel accounts. For those of you who aren't familiar with that term, gospel would refer to those first four books of the New Testament, kind of the second half of the Bible, those four books that, that document for us the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. We would call that the good news or the gospel books. But but today we're going to be looking at this story as told by Matthew, the gospel according to Matthew. Now, now Matthew is one of the 12 disciples. He's one of those guys who spent virtually every waking moment with Jesus during his earthly ministry. An earthly ministry, which lasted, by the way, this might surprise some of you to know this, only three years. That, that in and of itself is, is pretty interesting. Jesus only spent about three years building what we would traditionally refer to today now as Christianity, but yet here we are thousands of years later, and we're still talking about him. And so as would often occur, a, a massive crowd had, had gathered around Jesus. This was becoming more and more commonplace for him, and, and Jesus, as he so often would, he begins to tell a story. In fact, it was such a large crowd that he actually jumped into a boat, pushed a little bit away from shore, and the entire audience listened from the beach as he shared these stories. In a lot of ways, this is why the people had gathered in the first place, that they were hoping that Jesus would tell them some new story. And so here we jump into Matthew chapter 13, where we jump into this, this, this parable, this story of the scattered seed. He says, listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. As we talked about in part one of this series, uh, this is how Jesus would usually start. He'd pick up with something that was really, really familiar to the audience. It, it was kind of the subtle way of communicating, hey, I get you guys. I, I'm a man of the people. I, I'm a normal guy just like you. Uh, any person, in fact, who uses a lot of their time to speak publicly, like, like me, I might add, we all attempt to do this. I, I, I try to tell, tell stories that communicate that I'm just like an average guy. It, it even affects how I dress. I, I, I want to come across as relatable, normal, a, a person that you would feel comfortable hanging out with. As a bit of a sidebar, I'm, I, I definitely fall short in, in this area with some of you. In, in fact, somebody recently pulled me aside and they said, hey, do you really think it's appropriate that you would wear sweatpants while you preach? And they said this, and I'm like, sweatpants? Like, when have I ever worn sweatpants as I preached? And I'm like, racking my brain. And so I was like, I couldn't think of a time. And so I was like, I, I don't think I ever wore sweats before. What, what are you talking about? They're like, you're wearing them right now. And I was like, these? Oh, you think joggers are sweatpants, which kind of got me thinking. I'm like, okay, here I am trying to wear these pants, like, to be relatable. I wonder how many other people think that I'm wearing sweats as I preach. So anyway, back to our story, as told by relatable, man of the people, normal Jesus, Jesus who was probably wearing joggers as he preached from this boat. He says, listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell on a footpath and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow so soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. 
But the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since they didn't have deep roots, they, they died. Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and, and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. I mean, it's quite the command, right? Like, listen and understand. And I kind of have to assume at this point that Jesus, he's, he's probably feeling pretty good about himself. He's, he's just told, yet again, a, another brilliant, introspective story that he is probably sure has the crowd's wheels turning. And as he's sitting there for that split second, all of a sudden, his disciples, his, his best friends, come up to him, and they ask him, why do you use parables when you talk to the people? So, so he just gets done telling this, again, this, this brilliant story, as we'll soon dissect here in just a second. And all of his, the only thing that his best friends can kind of conjure up is, well, why do you use these parables when you talk to the people? I mean, if you read these gospel accounts for yourself, I, I'm telling you, Jesus' closest friends, they were so irritating sometimes. Because again, here, here he tells this incredible story that's meant to, to, to kind of pierce the hearts of his listeners and and rather than commenting on the story himself, rather than even, I don't know, maybe even throwing out a token compliment before they jump into the question that they really want to ask, all they can muster up is, is why do you use these stories when you, when you talk to the people? This last winter, I was speaking at a, at a winter retreat. It's like about 1,000 you know, high school students, and uh, it's the last night. It's late at night. It's like 10 o'clock, and I, I give this talk, and I mean, I, I left everything out there. It was a powerful moment. It was like not an easy topic to speak on, and I just felt like, man, like the, the Spirit of God was working in the room, and I had like so much passion, so much energy left on that stage, and I step off the stage, and I'm kind of feeling spent, and all of a sudden, the program director for the camp, I mean, he comes beelining it right for me. And so I figure, man, he's going to just like give me some encouragement, tell me about, man, like I feel like God was working, this, this student, he was really locked in. He's going to tell me something along those lines. And, and once he gets right next to me, the words that come out of his mouth are, that shirt's sick, bro. Where'd you get it? I was like, what? I mean, I just like laid my heart out on that stage and were you, that's what you got from that talk? You're just thinking about my shirt? That shirt is sick, bro? You want to know where I bought my shirt? In this moment, Jesus has to be thinking like, are you kidding me right now? That that's all you guys are thinking about? Like, like seriously, what is wrong with you? Now, now, now Jesus, being so filled with compassion and clearly a more patient man than I, uh, he actually answers their question. We're going to get to that here in, in, in just a minute. But, but unlike a lot of the stories that Jesus tells throughout, again, throughout these gospel accounts, he, he doesn't just leave the audience hanging. He, he doesn't leave them to their own devices to try to figure out what he was talking about when he told a seemingly random story. story. He actually thoroughly explains this one, which is like, for me, thanks a lot, Jesus. This is normally kind of what I do for the rest of the sermon. Explain your story so people think that I'm smart, so kind of stealing my thunder. But anyway, this is what Jesus says. He says, the seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and they don't understand it. Then the evil one comes, up, comes along and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and, and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth. 
so no fruit is produced. That seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. So he, so he explains his story. And if you're tracking with Jesus, he's essentially saying that every single one of us who are listening today, every single one of us who, who are out there right now, we all fall into one of four categories. To continue to use the, the language from Jesus, we are all one of four types of seeds. And, and I kind of broke it down this way. Uh, we're, we're either that come again seed. We, we could be that teen retreat seed. We could be the golden corral seed, or the best one, the too legit to quit seed. Now, to again, kind of recap here, that, that come again seed, you're that person that you've heard the message of Jesus a whole bunch of times. You're that seed that falls on the path and it quickly gets snatched up by the birds. You've heard the message of Jesus. You're familiar with this idea that God sent his one and his only son down to earth to pay the penalty for your sins that he took the wrath of God on his shoulders, that he didn't deserve, that that was owed to you. He took it upon himself, but then three days later, he did not stay dead. He rose from the grave. He conquered death so that you might have the opportunity to get that right standing back with God, so that you could have a relationship with God. And it simply comes down to trust. It comes down to belief. Do you believe that Jesus took the weight of your sin on his shoulders so that you could have new life? You've heard that many, many times. And every single time that you hear it, you're saying, come again? I mean, it kind of seems too good to be true. Well, why, don't you, why don't you give it to me one more time? Or, or, or perhaps you're looking for that next piece of evidence. You, you're waiting for that next thing to get sorted out in your life. You're constantly playing the role of the skeptic. It does just seem too good to be true. It seems like a fairy tale. And so you're perpetually kind of stuck in this spot of, I'm pretty sure that this might just be a feel-good story that's taken advantage of, of emotionally unstable people, but I'm not ready to like 100% write it off. I'll check back in at next Christmas. I'll check back in next Easter. I'll check back in next time I'm feeling a little bit curious. I'll have somebody else explain it to me for like the hundredth time, but, but I'll have never actually take the leap and trust in Jesus. If that's you, by the way, uh, it's called faith for a reason. If you're this first type of seed, this come again seed, at a certain point, you are going to need to come to the realization that all of your questions are never going to be answered. It is a choice to trust, to follow Jesus. And to you, if, if you're this first type of seed, I, I would just kind of pose this to you. What do you have to lose at this point? Because hasn't your life, not my life, not the people around you, hasn't your life demonstrated to you that try as hard as you might, you just can't seem to get it together? That, that, that as much as you chase after whatever that, that, that idol is for you in your life, that whatever that thing is that you're hoping is going to bring you that satisfaction, that it always falls short? <laughs> what do you have to lose by, by trusting Jesus? That, that next uh, seed that I punned here is, is the teen retreat seed. The teen retreat seed that, that falls on the rocky, shallow soil, and initially it just accepts it, and they're all excited about it, but then it quickly fades away. The, the teen retreat seed is that seed where you go on that retreat as a middle schooler or a high schooler, or you go to that camp, or as an adult, you come to that Christmas service, and it just feels right. 
I mean, it just seems like it all clicks. Emotionally, you, you are there. You are in. And you're on that high for a couple of days, maybe even a week. Shoot, maybe even a month. But eventually, it's back to reality. I mean, because you're doing nothing to continue to nurture that faith. You, you stop making Sunday mornings a priority. You don't serve. You don't get into a group. You're completely surrounded by worldly voices. You're not spending like intimate quality time with just Jesus to build that relationship. You're, you're, you're basically riding that spiritual high. And, and once you know it, it, it eventually fizzles out. By the way, so many of us, again, who are watching, who are listening here today, you, you could chart your lives out on basically a series of teen retreat type moments. You, you treat Jesus an awful lot like a drug. You, you take a hit at different moments throughout the year and you kind of ride them up until you come down to that inevitable crash again. Your, your life starts falling apart and so you come back for the next hit, you ride it for a little bit and you continue that cycle rather than placing him at the center of your life and allowing everything else to revolve around him. That, that's that teen retreat seed. And then next we have the golden corral seed. Uh, this is where I, I firmly believe this, that, that about 95% of the people who, who show up to churches here in America, this is where most people, I think, tend to fall, this, this golden corral seed. I, I was tempted to actually refer to this as the American seed because, again, I feel like it describes American Christians very, very well. But I had to remind myself that Jesus was, was not originally talking to Americans when he first uttered these words. So, Apparently, these were issues plaguing people in the first century halfway around the world as well. And so instead, I settle on this, this term here, the golden corral seed. See, if you go to a golden corral, you're a person that likes yourself some options. You want a little fried chicken with some of that cantaloupe dipped in chocolate sauce, with some of that sweet and sour shrimp topped off with some of that peach cobbler. It's like, mm, yeah, that's good stuff. And a lot of us, again, who are watching right now, that's essentially, you never thought about it in these terms, that's kind of how you view life. You look at your life and it's like a big buffet. There's a bunch of options that, that, that are out there sitting in front of you and you're trying to squeeze as many of them inside of you until you feel like you're going to barf. So, so give me a little career. I'll take a little bit of that spouse action. Yeah, sure. How about a couple kids, a new camper, a vacation house? I got to keep a couple of my hobbies in there. And then you turn the corner to the buffet and you're like, there's more? Oh my goodness, there's Jesus. And you think, man, Jesus, this guy, this guy seems great. This whole died for my sins thing, I mean, I definitely need a little bit of that. And sure, I, I can make this church thing happen once a week. I can, I can serve every once in a while. I mean, I, I think I can carve out a little bit more room on this plate. But what happens? Life starts getting busier. And your job, it starts demanding more hours. And your kids, they get into travel sports. You already bought the camper, so shoot, you got to use the camper. So you, and again, you probably haven't verbalized it this way, you just kind of chuck Jesus in the trash. I mean, you're about to bite into him. He sure seemed good. He, he sure seemed tasty when you first saw him, but, but now, the, now the cook at the corral, I mean, he just busted out a whole mess of General So chicken and ribeye steak. And, and so you kind of like, Jesus, you don't seem as appealing anymore. And so you let the server know, I'm, I'm all set with this one as you punch the dirty plate across the table. It's that, that golden corral seed. And then lastly, um, the best one, we have the, the two legit to quit seed. And for those of you that grew up in the 90s, you know, grew up in the 80s, you got the two legit to quit seed. The, the, these are the people that, that are all in. J Jesus is not just another option in life. He, he's it. 
Jesus is at the center, and, and all other decisions are made with Jesus as the cornerstone. You, you recklessly follow wherever Jesus leads. You obey even when it does not make sense to you, even when you don't have all the answers, even when you don't know what the light looks like at the end of the tunnel. When the Holy Spirit prompts, you take the leap. You default in that direction because you know that Jesus has your best interest in mind. You implicitly default. You trust Jesus because you cling to the truth that he proved himself trustworthy when he died for you. Your life doesn't just look a little bit different. It looks drastically different from those around you. You are constantly making decisions where people look at you and go, what is wrong with him? What is wrong with her? You bathe everything in prayer. You regularly share your faith because Jesus has so transformed your life and you desperately want that for others. When trials and hardships come your way, you don't abandon ship. You don't throw your hands in the air and say, woe is me, God, where are you? No, you cling to Jesus because your hope is not attached to circumstances. Your hope is attached to Jesus who came, conquered death, and now lives in you. You have a true relationship with Jesus that has been built day by day as you spend intimate time with him every single morning. You serve his bride, the local church, not begrudgingly, but willingly. You, in fact, cannot believe that Jesus would count you worthy to be a part of his redemptive plan for the world. You have community with other people who are pursuing Jesus because you desperately want that accountability. You want to be pushed. You want to be challenged by others who are also pursuing Jesus. Again, Jesus isn't just an option. He's the center by which everything else revolves. And again, this morning, I, I'm not asking you to admit this to anybody else. I, I just want you to be honest with you. R really ask yourself this question, where do I fall? Where do I fall? Wh which kind of a seed am I? Now, now I mentioned that after Jesus tells this story, uh, his buddies come up to him and they ask him this question here. Why, why do you use stories when you talk to the people? And, and before Jesus jumps into this explanation that, that we just kind of dissected, he, he goes off on this little sidebar and even quotes from the book of Isaiah, book we find in the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures. And it, it's so easy to just kind of breeze past it, perhaps even think to yourself, like, what in the heck was that all about? talks about all these things that are seemingly random, about hearing and not understanding and seeing and not comprehending. He mentions hardened hearts and secrets of heaven and understanding being taken away from people. And again, at first glance, it just seems so, so random. And, and then right before he jumps into his explanation of the parable that we just went through, he, he utters these words. He says, I tell you the truth. Many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but they didn't see it. And they long to hear what you hear, but they did not hear it. Je Jesus is communicating that all of human history has been leading up to and waiting for this moment that the disciples, that this audience is now a part of. That, that this moment in history that everyone has been waiting for, where, where the God of the universe rather than staying on his throne and leaving human beings to their own devices, 
Rather than, than allowing us to destroy ourselves through our own sin and our own rebellion, he chose to get involved. Nothing that, that we did, nothing that we said compelled him to, he chose to get involved. Jesus is going, he, he sent me, his son, his one and his only son as the solution to your sin problem. He sent his own son as the instrument by which we would get that right standing back with God. Jesus is communicating all throughout history. People have been waiting for this moment and now it's here. It is staring you in the eye. And he's looking at his disciples. He's he's looking at the audience saying, your savior has arrived. Your Savior has arrived. These words were uttered to the disciples thousands of years ago, and now these words are turned and directed right at you. You listening. You watching right now. He says, I tell you the truth. Many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but they didn't see it. And they long to hear what you hear. You who are listening right now, but they didn't hear it. Your Savior has arrived. And every single one of us who are watching, every one of us who are listening right now, unlike the prophets and the people before Jesus stepped onto this earth, every single one of us, we all have the benefit of hindsight. We have these words recorded for us. We know, in fact, how the story ends. Our Savior your Savior, has arrived. We see what the prophets and the people longed to see. We have heard what they longed to hear. All of us watching right now, we have no excuse. But despite the great lengths that God has gone to in order to demonstrate his love for us, in order to win us back, Jesus knew that many of us would still reject him, would still turn our back to him. In fact, in almost breathtaking detail, he elegantly predicted the four ways (laughs) through a simple story about seeds, how every single one of us would respond. And so again, back to that question, where do you fall? And the temptation, in particular, for those of you who grew up going to church, who, who, who this Christianity thing has just always kind of been a part of your life, the temptation is almost to instinctively respond, well, I, I'm, that, I'm that fourth kind of seed. I'm that too legit to quit seed. And I want you to think about that. Are you sure? Because Jesus, all throughout his time on earth, and read it for yourself, read in these gospel accounts, I mean, it it was a constant topic of conversation how few of us actually end up falling into that fourth category, That, that the path is narrow, that most will turn and reject. But fortunately for us, God, he's exceedingly gentle. 
He's exceedingly kind. He is, he is so immeasurably patient with us. And you, today, you watching, you listening, you, you have an opportunity to change course. To, to trust him not just with a part of your life, but with all of it. You have an opportunity to start today by placing him at the center by which everything else revolves. Completely surrendering everything to him. Trusting him because he proved himself trustworthy when he died for you. And from this day forward, leveraging your life as a as an instrument, as a as a tool, no, as a seed to show the love of Jesus to a world that so desperately needs him.